as an industry we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures, but there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Dan Vogt, current founder at Dazcorp. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Dan. How are you? Good, thank you. It's awesome to have you aboard. Yeah, thanks for having me. How's the uh, start of the new year going? Oh, look, pretty chill. Um, you know, exactly pretty what you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, good to hear. Uh, this is Dev Diary series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in time. But whilst you've got a really fascinating story within the industry that we're absolutely going to pick through shortly, I wanted to rewind to a point before all of that and just kind of focus on some of your consumption of video games early on. Oh, yeah. When did when did video games first kind of enter your life? Do you remember some of the first games were, or even more specifically, the first video game um, was that um, you played? I remember we went through a phase. So I've, I've got um, a whole bunch of brothers and two. So there's six of us, yeah. <laughs> uh, four boys, two girls in the family, and it's a busy me family. and my yeah, me and my brothers were all trying to uh, work our way through uh, Alex Kidd in Miracle World. Oh, good start beautiful uh, but a difficult and frustrating brutal. game yeah very <laughs> brutal and it's sort of from that era of game design where um you know the harder it is the longer it takes you to uh, uh get through the game i suppose and so you get you know four boys worth of entertainment out of one incredibly frustrating game actually yeah. i never saw that game finished it happened when i was on a school camp and i came back and everyone had stopped playing it i'm like wait what happened and they're like oh wasn't this finished it (laughs) yeah it's like matt finished it i'm like can you finish it again so i can see because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be able to finish it and then just like "Eh, nah we don't play that anymore so (laughs) uh, yeah devastating but yeah i think um that's the one that pops to the front of my mind i think that was like we had the sega master system 2 which that was built into i think um and you were more of a sega household growing up yeah, we were. We we sort of had a, a Mega Drive following that, and then uh, we <laughs> famously uh, made my younger brother cry because we would sold all of the uh, the Mega Drive and all of the Sonic games to get a Super Nintendo. And I was trying to tell him how good F Zero and Mario Kart were going to be, but he was just like, "But Sonic," and yeah, oh like mistakes were made clearly. <laughs> um... Yeah, as and, and, who was it's funny too. Asshole, but... Well, it's funny too because, like, in that that era, it was such a contentious thing. You know, all of the the magazines are full of Mario's disemboweling Sonics and Sonics yeah, dashing or... Mario's in half and stuff. Yeah, and you know, to that point, I'd had friends who, you know, I had a Sega and they had a Nintendo, and that was kind of the the bedrock of our you know, air quotes, friendship. So <laughs> <laughs> it was the banter that goes back and forth with that. Well, no, they're going around each other's or house and like, you know, it's like, I need a, a, a second player for Battletoads. Like you're yeah. up and you're like, yes, sweet. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I must say, I remember having, of all kind of the, the friends I had at that primary school age and yeah, I was growing up with Super Nintendo. There was only one Sega amongst all of those friends. And so it was always kind of a novelty going around there and like, oh, Sonic. Okay. Like, yeah it moves quickly <laughs> i guess like yeah I, I guess i couldn't quite appreciate it because it was only it was this odd the odd one out it was infrequent um 
it's a lot of pressure too because then they're just like oh if sonic's not your thing maybe you'd like to play streets of rage you know or uh i don't know altered beast <laughs> yeah yeah they, they start you sense the desperation starts to kick yeah. in because uh, no but i could just go back and play mario or zelda or chrono trigger yeah. or whatever it happened to me oh man it was it was very difficult like sort of going and playing like mario 3 at a friend's house and then being like i kind of don't want you here i kind of want to just, <laughs> just have some alone this. have some alone time with mario 3 but uh you know it is what it is <laughs> so how did your tastes evolve from there as you grew up and you know presumably your exposure with video games grew um mm. embraced different sides of the fence you know touched on a bit of nintendo maybe you know and obviously the various other console manufacturers and pc as as you grew up um where did your taste start to to expand to so a lot of PC stuff, actually. So probably, you know, I think the uh, the PlayStation and N64 era I completely skipped because, like, we and you know, I was playing PC sort of back earlier as well. Like, I think we had a, a I don't know, like a four eight six or something back in, yep. you know, ninety two or something. Oh my god, that's so long ago. Um, <laughs> but Darn, yeah, I'm sure like, that I mean, admittedly, I was yeah. three in that case, but. Uh. Oh so, yeah, still. A good time. <laughs> Thanks, you really fixed it for me there. Still a um, good time for games. <laughs> but yeah, so you know there was this sort of consistent interest in in PC games because PC games in that era in particular were just batshit crazy. Like sort of getting on board um, new technologies like CD-ROMs and all that sort of stuff. They just were bizarre. And on top yeah. of like you know all of the weird stuff like um, Magic Carpet and you know really experimental, strange games that people were making at the time then because they weren't genres like you know the stuff was just new and weird and um you know i sort of remember like i think i was playing quake at the time the timeline here's right i think i was playing quake 2 at the same time all my friends were like still really into um goldeneye on the n64 yeah. and i'm like these are very different experiences guys like i'm trying to perfect my rocket jumps and you guys are over here like struggling with this insane control scheme um so yeah i spent a while sort of over in the the pc space and actually that sort of led to like you know my a lot of my um taste sort of revolved around those id software games at the time as well yeah. so you know the dooms Doom and, and quake and quake yeah. yeah and even i mean well tangentially related uh yeah yep and sort of duke 3d a little bit as well not that that was yep. an id game but i was really interested in those games because then there was also level editors and communities for modding those, which, yeah. you know, sort of ate a lot of my time as well. So I started sort of veering off and spending a lot of time with PC stuff. Well, it gives you the opportunity to yeah, dig deeper and those sort of things. And we just don't, we don't see as much of that built-in sort of modding capacity these days. So Yeah, that's definitely um, true. Yeah, I mean, I you know I think of the Bethesda Game Studios titles, but obviously it takes 20 years for a new one to come out there. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that yeah, like anything nowadays is sort of it's either curated and invited in like Little Big Planet sort of stuff, or, um, you know, I guess, you know, it's it, like if you are modding something, it's much more. Uh, how would you say? Like you've got to fight all these. Yeah, anti, you're brute forcing your way in. Like anti cheat measures and all that sort of stuff. Like yeah. you know, good luck modding a Steam game. Whereas back in the day, it's just like you just put an extra file in a in a folder and it pulls it in and goes, oh yeah, that's a normal level made by the normal guys. <laughs> it was it was a it was a wild west. It was great. Very very different time. Yeah. Um. And so, would you say that there was a game or collection of experiences or anything that perhaps guided you towards actually pursuing the games industry as a you know a viable career pathway? Uh, 
that is a really interesting question. Um, I mean, you, know, you no. get a lot of people that talk about it being like, really, it's you know, it's the culmination of all these. The fact that I was, I mean, I hear lots of people who you know were brought up on the same sorts of games that you used to describe the Dooms and that sort of era where the modding was was so easy to do, not necessarily yeah. easy in that you know, no, no, yeah, easy to make, a... but easy yeah. to access. Um, and that was the opportunity for people to dip their toes in and get some experience just behind their own computer at their own home, and then opportunities started to unlock later on. Yeah, look, I don't think there was a tipping point. Like, I was interested in a lot of things. So I was sort of into, into 2D art and animation, and well, 3D art and animation, um, and making levels, and all of this stuff was very hobbyist. And, and, you know, during school and stuff, I'm like, I have no idea professionally what I'm going to do. Because, you know, games get made in this mythical faraway place that isn't here. And, you know, the, the hobbyist communities are all online and disparate. And you're like, yeah, cool. Like I'll work with some randos on a forum yeah. and we'll, we'll make a weird Quake 2 mod. But, you know, it never really occurred to me until, you know, I saw that there was a, a games course being advertised for here in Brisbane. And I was like, wait, people make games here? And then, of yeah. course, you sort of discover that, yes, there's actually a, a flourishing game scene here in Australia. But the my career counsellor at school needed, didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I mean, working in the, and sorry, listeners, because I know you're always fed up with me uh, going back to my teaching side of things, but um, <laughs> it is certainly something, I guess, having been on you know both side of, sides of the fence on this side of the, the millennium um, in terms of getting the career counselling and then working as a teacher and kind of working alongside the career counsellors, I have seen that kind of growth in understanding of what, the local scene can provide oh it's um, amazing now like and, the awareness you know, on of yeah. the game scene and and like even even if it's just boiled down to the the fact that it makes a lot of money you know you hear that thing about how it makes more than the record industry and the music industry combined or whatever it's like if that's all that people are saying then it's like good people are aware that it's a thing and taking it seriously so and we know, seem to be much a... better than it was in 99 <laughs> yeah and, and I mean, we you see and hear more media reports these days of like a Cult of the Lamb or a Untitled Goose Game or something yeah, like that, that really breaks out. And um, I mean, we seem to be having those sort of giant breakouts on a greater per capita basis than I feel like most other regions of the world. So it seems more and more appealing for people. And um, I know certainly within the, the various schools that I've worked at, I've had the career counselors go, "Well, Paul doesn't make games, but he knows a lot about them. He knows people. He's got networks." So like. You know, if that's, you know, we can kind of, and so I occasionally get roped in for a student who's keen on video games and, oh, that's awesome. um, and just in terms of, oh, okay, who, like, okay, we've got the courses here, sure, that's fine, we're the careers counselor, we can help them, yeah, but is there anyone that they could potentially speak to that can maybe help provide a little bit more information and a bit of background? Like, yeah, sure, no worries, there's 101 episodes of Dev Diary, I guess, that I can talk to, let alone any, <laughs> let alone anyone else, so. Um, I definitely, I, I wouldn't want to be in that position of, trying to know all the careers and trying to um distill yeah, its interests down yeah like it you know that that comment was pretty flippant but like you know i i did do a a talk about game design at a local high school uh and you know it's basically just like a, i have a strange job i'll come in and explain it and how i got here and it was startling to me to sort of see how young kids in grade 10 are like when i was in grade 10 i didn't feel so young and yeah, and you yeah, go and you talk you. to a group of them and it's just like a bunch of kids and we're saying work out your careers for the future and they're like okay and they can't sit still because they're they're just like 
kids. I just want it to be lunchtime know. so I can go keep yeah. the footy and And it's like, you, sit still, stop flapping that paper and pay attention so you can decide your career for the rest of your life. And I'm like, oh my god, like, how does anyone drive Operate kids? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's... Thankfully, I don't have to focus too much on the, the career side of things. Only when I'm pulled in for you know, a kid who's specifically saying, hey, this is something I want to do. And so I guess I'm considered a resource at that point because otherwise, yeah, it's, it's a pretty intimidating sort of idea for a kid. Like, you know, 15, 16 years old to be starting to get nudged even towards making some of these decisions. Yeah. 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 And like I said, like, it was very confusing for me. Like I, I didn't realize that the skills that I was sort of building up as a hobby were actually real world applicable. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's you're more of a reflection of the times, I think, than anything else. But, um, yeah, anyway, I appreciate the listeners uh, putting up with us having this little aside. Oh, there, there's no dramas <laughs> there. They're well and truly used to tangents. So, um, oh, good. No, no dramas there in the slightest. So how did uh, that first opportunity actually emerge in the first place, though? So, I mean, it's, it's gone from, again, the modding and those sorts of things at home to kind of the discovery that, okay, we do have a local scene here, but then the first opportunity in the first place, how did... How did that emerge for you? Yeah, so there was a um, an institution here called Quantum, Q-A-N-T-M, yep. um, who had just started a games course. And I think they were doing a six-monthly intake for it, and they had just finished the first uh, – well, they the, the were the six months round. into – yeah, the first round. or like, I can't actually – no, because it went for a year, and they were – the people who had started it had started six months ago and they were advertising it in the paper or something. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? There's a course about games. So it's, yeah, it's this, um, and you know, it's grown a lot since, and I think they're called SAE now. And, uh, but I do and, remember you know, the old quantum acronym too. Yeah. Well, they, I think they even keep it around because people up here in Queensland still remember it quite fondly. Yeah. So there might even still be quantum college up here, but at the time, and yeah, no disrespect to them. It was a very dinky operation. Um, it was like a, a one year course and, um, yeah, I think it was TAFE accredited as well. No, yeah. it definitely was. Um, but yeah, so I, I had sort of found out about it, found out what the requirements were and then, uh, you know, spent all of my uh, basically summer holidays kind of putting together like a, a portfolio and an animation. I did like a two minute sort of animation of like a little toy um, and sort of voiceover and music and sound effects and stuff. I yep. really wanted this. Yeah. And ended up like, you know, I actually didn't end up going to schoolies because I was like, I'm going to focus on this, which I think. Uh, looking back on it, may have been a, a poor decision, but um, yeah. I know. I, again, going back into the teacher <laughs> thing, I hear so many stories from the students when they when they have their schoolies, like they have finished their exams, they come, they have their schoolies, they come back then for our graduation graduation night, and they tell me some of the things that went on, and there's usually a lot of regret laced in a lot of the stories they're telling me. So well, it's, um, it's funny too because I like all the the schoolies ones where people are like we're going to go camping somewhere else or like whatever, but the my groups of friends were all kind of like, ah, oh, we haven't booked anything, so we're going to kind of be within a stone's throw of surfers and like try and get in each night on a bus. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, get out of it. Like, I don't want to, this sounds so stupid. And also like, I was actually 18 at this point. Yeah. Like, cause I, I did, I did grade five twice, which is, we can come back to, that'll be a fun aside. Um, uh, yeah. So I was a year older than, well, than everyone else, my yeah. birthday's in December. So like I was late for the intake. So yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not, if I was older, yeah, but anyway, I was already 18, so, like, it would have just been, like, Dan, buy us beer. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to be, like, everyone's, uh, 
uh, what would you say, gateway to booze. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, uh, look, I, I was the baby of my year, so. Oh, okay. Um, everyone yeah, else so... was... They weren't they weren't the same boat that you were in terms of uh, in terms of kind of having that whole extra year, but they were all turning eighteen throughout the course of our final year. So by the time oh, okay. by the time we got to the end of the year, it was only a very small selection of us, me being one of them, that actually couldn't drive, couldn't buy alcohol, <laughs> and that sort of thing. So at least you didn't have to turn to the same person over and over in that case. Yeah, we we had uh, directly opposite experiences. Yeah, there's a duality to us. I was the mooch. I was the one that was. <laughs> yeah, right. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so um, anyway, I, I got into the, the course um, and uh, they gave me a, what is it, a scholarship um, yep. for it as well, which was cool. Um, and basically, yeah, did the, that's, that was the beginning, I guess. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, obviously you've, you've completed the scholarship, which you know, grants you a whole bunch of different opportunities along the way. You get to, I assume, probably get to interact a little bit with the local scene at that particular stage. Is there... <laughs> Um, a bit of cross pollination at all? It was really weird. There was there was kind of like an industry night at the end of it, but it was yeah. just very chaotic. Uh, they've they've got much better at at this over time, but at the time it was just kind of just standing in there. And because and to give you an idea, it was like a friends and family and industry at the same time yeah, night. Okay. So you're standing there next to your work, and like people are coming in, and you're like, um, hello, and they're like, oh hi, oh I'm such and such as mum or i'm their brother <laughs> and you're like oh man who here is industry what is and so you just kind of come away going did anyone talk to anyone from the industry and they were around they're just kind of like being sly as no one well. knows who's who yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if you don't want to be seen you can just blend in <clears throat> blend into oh, the crowd a little bit i had completely forgotten about that actually that was such that was so demoralizing and like you know it, it sort of informed how i would approach people at industry nights as well because i just yeah. remember what it was like not being prepared for what that night feels like and being like no you have to talk to people just say hello like it's okay they're here to, they're yeah. interested in you that's why they're here just say hello um <laughs> yeah my goodness yeah it'd be a bit of a challenge i guess yeah that that environment seems odd i guess yeah when you kind of start lugging all the family in there it's not like you're just bringing a partner or something like that it's yeah if mum and dad and all those sort of things it becomes a weird atmosphere let alone yeah, multiply I, that across everyone in attendance. Well, it was funny too because it was also very warm. Like, you know, there's a lot of very proud as punch parents and family and stuff, yeah. but it's, you know, it, the, the purpose of the evening became kind of muddled. You know, it's, it, is, it, is it sort of the family hug kind of happening or is it the, the industry outreach and you're selling yeah. yourself kind of thing? <laughs> and in the end, kind of became neither. Little, little bit, a little muddled, a little messy. There's grow, growing pains, I guess. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sucker for process. So like, you know, I'm just like, okay, what, what is it? What is the goal here? What are we trying to achieve? What, you know, <laughs> so looking back at it, I'm like, I'm literally like squirming in my seat because I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's such a strange, such a strange thing. But like I said, you know, it's there. I think this was only their second time doing it. So, yeah. you know, slick. Yeah, you got to learn from these things. Yeah. There's always growing pains. So yeah, how did that first opportunity beyond uh, the course actually emerge for you? Now, obviously, we've got um, some some. I mean, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but like we've got co-founding Half Brick. There's mm. uh, and then obviously some of your own more current work these days in consultation, and mentoring, and those sort of things. But yeah, how did it all begin from there? Yeah, so Half Brick was was born out of that that uh, intake actually. So um, you know, uh, six or seven of the students who were in that intake yeah. uh, all decided to go off and uh, start Half Brick. And I say 
I phrase it that way because I was not one of them. I, I was like, um, no, our our group project went to shit, and like some of the people who were in our group project were part of this, and it's like, yeah. uh, I this don't doesn't seem like a good mix. I don't like this. I think I might just go get a job at a yeah. company rather than you know throw my hat in, and um, you know, so then I I went out and uh, applied for jobs for nine months and got nowhere, and a big part of it is like. I was just making phenomenal application errors or um, portfolio errors. Like yeah. I made this in in Quake Three. I made this space station that showcased my work, and you walk around it, and it's like all these non-Euclidean spaces and like narration. Thankfully, with an AI voice, not me this time. Uh, yeah. Like you know, just explaining all the the work to you and stuff. And I sent it like and packaged it up so like. All you had to do was have a current installed version of Quake 3 on your computer, and then you could run my thing. And so I, I got a, a message back from someone at uh, Pandemic. I can't remember who they were now, who's you know, one of the big teams at yeah, the time. One, and, they're one, like, the time. and they're like, dude, this application is fucking awesome. No one is going to have time to look at it. Like, what are you doing? Just like have a video walkthrough or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. That is so stupid. So it was stuff like that where you just like – so so young and so stupid you look back at it and go oh my god what was yeah, it's, that it's that big world sort of thing that can be sometimes lost along the way that you think okay i'm, I'm making my application i'm gonna make it the best thing i can but you figure yeah. you might be one of dozens well it's also that that really small perspective where like you know you just think that quake 3 is the hot game for me at the moment everyone must have it installed like everyone oh, yeah, that must too. be what yeah. they do at work as soon as it hits 5 p.m. on a Friday. And it's like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> you know, that'd be like someone sending me an Overwatch mod to, and I'm just like, dude, I, I've never played Overwatch. Like, I'm sorry. I, well, Fortnite, like, well, <laughs> Wait, are you sorry. in the same boat as myself where you have not played Battle Royale? Yeah. Oh, we can bond over that. That's... <laughs> I just, the listeners I can skip to timestamp here. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to stick a special timestamp. Yeah. Or yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll get creative with something I can do after after the fact now. But no, um, it's funny. Like just generally, like online play with random people is something that I just I don't know about. Probably mm, eight or nine years ago, just decided I wasn't interested in anymore. Yeah. Like I really enjoy playing games with friends. Like that that is a very different experience. But yeah, I I just find it kind of frustrating generally yeah. if anyone yeah, was... can talk to me i just mute them all <laughs> yeah the, the occasional times i do find myself in a multiplayer thing unless it's a you know we've set up a co-op session and me and friend, like some friends actively playing a cooperative game as opposed to a big competitive thing uh then it's exactly as you say mute everyone play get out and if i'm in that circumstance it's probably because i'm playing something for a review or something like that so it's not oh, yeah. even yeah it's it's not even the the typical scenario, but it's just all business here to experience, understand, move on. Don't want to yeah. deal with any anyone being a douchebag along the way. So, <laughs> but uh, so as as you said, so kind of in in the wilderness there for nine months, kind of yeah. applying and those sort of things. And then how did um, things come from there? Yeah. So um, basically, the the I, I was keeping in touch with the the team and. Uh, they were, so they they had oh that was the other thing so the the team had been working on quite a large scope game so they had gone we're going to work on a, a, a game for Xbox which at the time was yep. cutting edge and you know we're going to sort of mitigate risk here by doing a kart racing game or something but um you know and I was like that's that's huge like that is so big 
if you do something smaller and more sensible, like get onto me. And there was a point where they reached back out and they're like, Hey, uh, we've cut that project. A few of the guys have left cause you know, it wasn't working out. So now we're making a Game Boy Advance game and we need someone who can push pixels around. And I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, me, I That's can push strength. pixels That's around. Right, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I, I've been faffing about with 2d art. Uh, packages for the longest time so that was actually sort of in my wheelhouse and sounded achievable so I came in and sort of worked started working as a contract artist for them and sort of taking stuff that had existed already that you know other artists had made but didn't know how to get into the game and sort of going yeah. okay well what are the what are the requirements what's the format you know all actually dealing with sort of the, the technical aspects of it um, yeah and so then we sort of progressed on that for a while and essentially the plan was to make a, a demo to showcase the the team so that we could use that to to actually get some funded work yep um which would have been good except that then there was sort of more team falling out and more disagreements over you know how the company should be operating and rah 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 and it actually sort of got back to the point where there was two of the original group of founders and me and the, the other team sort of went in their own separate way and we're both like all right we'll keep the code and the demo ourselves and you can keep the code and demo as well and then everyone can go and pitch and whatever but we'll just be like separate things and um <laughs> and then like of the three of us like one of the other guys sort of had to leave and go back down to melbourne and so i was like okay well now there's two of us and we've got this thing and we can start from scratch again and build it from here or or we can pack it in and so we we basically sort of built the company back up there's there's little bits of contracting for other companies and stuff oh, in sure. here as yeah. well yeah which was you gotta awesome. make ends meet right oh yeah and it's like a lot of it was like embedding within other studios so we actually learned a ton about like how people um run their studios and you know how they reward their staff and all that sort of stuff it was really cool yeah i mean um, i've seen games like tie and those sort of things that were kind of listed in some of your credits along the way and so yeah I mean, it's obviously a bit of work with chrome and those sorts yeah of yeah so too, we were so. embedded within chrome for two years maybe yeah okay. and in fact you know chrome gave us our first um paid gig so we we worked on like a, a very um what'd you say yoshi's island inspired uh platformer demo sort of evolving the demo that we had previously yeah. to to shop around and Chrome were like, yeah, we need a tie the Tasmanian tiger game, like to satisfy our contract with EA, like, but we'll have to have you on site and we'll have to have our engine guys help you with your tools and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So that basically the demo that we'd made, we got put in hold, put on hold, but then we used the, um, the, uh, the engine and tools that we'd made to basically spin up tie the Tasmanian tiger. So yeah, we, we worked out of their office for ages and learned heaps about, um, you know, how their company operated and how they treated all their employees. And we did the same out of um, Evolution Studios before that, who shipped uh, the Rocket Power Beach Bandits, yes. uh, which was a, a, a 3D console uh, game as well. But we were just helping them get that across the line. So a lot of stitching together all of their their cutscenes and levels and i i spent ages doing all you kinds were the of shit let's be real you were the i glue. was i was the shit kicker on that project uh, and like i was very happy to be because it was really cool like i'd walk in there and be like okay 
what am I doing today? And they're like, we need someone to go back through and like clean up these 50 old assets and like fix their topology. And I'm like, okay. And then it's like, what do I do now? And they're like, what, you've done that already? Okay, I guess you can go play sound effects everywhere in the game. And I'm like, shit, that's awesome. Let, what's next, you know? And it was just this this running thing of like these jobs that no one else could get around to. But like, it's, I just felt at home in their engine because I've mod, you know done all these modding things before. So I'm just like, yeah, cool. Like, what's next? How do I do that one job? Cool, all right, I'll go do it a thousand times. So like, yeah. Oh my god, so many asides. Anyway, so that's that was us working in other studios. Obviously, we got to see yeah. their their approach, um, how they sort of interacted with their publisher. Um, you know, what safety measures they took. You know, like, it's just it's funny what you pick up, and later you're like, what? We have to have a fire safe for like keeping out hard drives safe in case there's a fire. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, they did that there too. Okay. Yep. Guess we got to do that. So just <laughs> and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I can't recommend a better tour of duty than just contracting out to a bunch of other um studios i guess for anyone listening like you obviously you kind of branded it the shit kicker work but at the same time um it is one of those interesting things i guess for anyone who's potentially making their way into the industry that sometimes those sort of opportunities as much as they whether we dub them shit kicker gigs or or, mm. or or whatever it is you might want to call them i'm sure for you that was still awesome because you're getting to dabble in a whole bunch of different disciplines and you're not being focused solely on one so you can kind of have that broader perspective than what someone might come uh, come with if they've just been an artist or if they've just been a programmer if they've just been role x whatever that happens to be would that be fair yes um and yeah the the term shit kicker is a little bit unfair but i i was really sort oh, of no, using that casual, so that's, that's fine yeah. yeah just in the context of maybe that's like they thought the jobs weren't worth doing like it, it's funny in a bigger studio like people specialize so they're like hey yeah. man i'm the level art guy I do the level art. I don't place uh, grass particle systems, you yeah. know? So like, it's this kind of, you know, they kind of are looking down on the work, I guess is what I was coming at. But it actually kind of reveals like some of my attitude towards team work in a sense. Um, so far, zooming forward, um, there was a, uh, we were working on a project for THQ, in the Deblob franchise. So this is on the, the Nintendo DS in about yeah, 2010. Yeah. And um, someone on the team needed to go and edit all of these little sound effects to try and like, what was it? We couldn't use any of the sound effects from the first Blob game and had to re-edit sound effects from the second Blob game because of a licensing thing. And so it was, we had completely working sound effects, but they needed to be changed to a completely di different set of indecipherably different sound effects for licensing reasons. And it was shit work. And it was going to take about four hours of sitting there with headphones on and not being able to listen to music and just focusing on this one shit task. And no one on the team wanted to do it. And I was like, it's fine. I will go do this task to free everyone else up to work on their other things. And like, I, the way we would run teams was very much, I don't know, it sort of echoes like, I don't know, like a family dynamic maybe? Yeah, okay. No, actually, I don't want to do all the family. I hate when <laughs> I hate when companies say, oh, we're like a family. We're a family. Um, yeah, uh, we're, a, we're a team where like, I'll take the hit and do this bad work because I want other people to be able to focus on their 
their work and the thing they're good at and like i can i can take the hit of working on the shit thing it's not like we kind of look around the room and go who's the least experienced and get them to do it yeah you know i was like i will lead by example here i will do the shit work and you know i guess i have i have that background of like having done a bunch of different stuff so i've edited sounds in audacity before like i'll get in there and do that shit work and you know get it get it done so you know i guess that sort of suited me um sort of this this thing of like really helping the game shine by running around and catching all these tasks that no one else has done because you know no one else everyone else was specialized yeah someone's got to do it everyone else is specialized and it sort of eventually got to the point where it's like well we've done all the little things like is there anything you want to add to the game i'm like i want to fix that special effect i want to change this i want to do that there was like little bits where i got to be like that's my bit i did that little bit you know and it's one of those sort of things that if those roles aren't completed um and the and the game comes out or i mean there's either two different circumstances either it becomes this crazy rush at the end because you've got all this gigantic list of things that now need to be fixed tweaked edited removed whatever the nature was that you're doing at any given time or they just slide on through and when critics or players get their hands on it, it becomes like a death by a thousand cuts sort of thing for the game. <laughs> yeah so, i mean those sort of the completion of those sort of things is really important yeah absolutely yeah and especially to be able to do it on an ongoing basis rather than a yeah that that crunch sort of thing i hate to drop the word but well yeah i was gonna say like i think, crush, I think yeah. that was pretty rough crunch on the project anyway but it at least looked a lot better when it was uh when it was done yeah good <laughs> um and so how did things start to develop from there further? I mean, um, obviously Halfbrick is now starting to become, start to kind of form its identity a little bit at that particular stage after much uh, change and, as you said, kind of tumultuous uh, move, movements early on. But you're starting to settle at this stage. Yeah, so, the, I mean, those projects were interesting because we uh, we were really only taking over some of the functions of the project. So the design was being handled by by chrome uh so you know we had a designer who was on their payroll who was working with us on the game and it sort of led to this really big bloated game with too much stuff and we were like we have to start taking ownership of this so that you know we have a chance to define the scope of a game that's not going to kill us (laughs) so the the the, i think tie tie two which is confusingly the first one that we did um that was the process and then tie three was the one where we started to be in charge of the design and started to scope it more sensibly which was also the time that we started going okay you know we can't really have all our eggs in one basket and just always be living in chrome and always be working with their publisher we kind of need to branch out and find something for ourselves. so yeah there was a point where we kept that project going and then i went out and sort of started the the second team at an office space and like just headed headed that project which was a very difficult time for us because it was as uh, stretched thin as we've ever been just you know with um, Shaney and my co- co-founder back finishing out that project and me starting this new thing and like yeah. dealing with all these new employees we had to scale up oh my god anyway and eventually um you know we sort of got both teams under the same roof and started cranking away on thq games and you know thq games they're like um you know the sort of thing where uh you know they're like we got a, a game coming out sorry we got a, a movie coming out in december and we need a game for it 
or we've got a console game and we need a companion DS game. And it was all that kind of work. So that I basically... certainly remember the THQ of that era, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, there was a... Um, it was sort of... Uh, what do you say? There's some SpongeBob in there. There's some Avatar. There's a, uh, You've probably got the list in front of you. Why am I blanking on this stuff? No, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean you're right. Yeah, you're touching on a few of those titles. Obviously. Uh, so it's all... Yeah, I mean, THQ of that period was a weird one. Obviously, things didn't finish too well for them not not that long <laughs> yeah. later really um well even the mechanics of this is interesting right because um you know at the time the us dollar bought two australian dollars and so the way that kind of worked is they go well we could pay americans to do it or we can or at least this is our pitch to them right or you can pay us to do it and your money goes further and also we work while you sleep was the the big the big one so they tell us what they need at the end of their work day and it's done by the time they come back by in. The way, yeah yeah so <laughs> there was this and there uh, are advantages to that of course like it seems oh, totally. it seems sensible on a business side. so for 2005 through till about 2010 this model kind of started to get choked out because the the currency sort of came to parity yeah and so what that means is that you know all the u.s companies are going hey you're no cheaper than and our own local people people in a basement in the next yeah exactly so um you know and we started sort of seeing that and certainly you know thq's business model i think was either hampered by that or other factors which i can't even remember who cares um uh, the the that uh, touchpad thing that they went for um, oh the, the one that, the one that, yeah that the one that totally nuked him at the end yeah because oh apparently they made so many more than they they ever considered and then no <laughs> so it cost them billions and that and it. everyone talks about the et atari cartridge huh <laughs> i mean killed their respective companies in very different fashions i guess but mm. uh whatever happened to all those wager all things maybe they're buried in a desert too <laughs> right now they got the next plot if you're um if you're listening to this and just, just quickly whip out your phone and do a bit of research for us and uh drop it on social media let give yeah. us an answer let us know yeah, so um, we we definitely saw that that uh, that parity of the currencies was uh, leading to uh, what would you say apocalypse for yeah. us. And certainly, you know, our, the Australian industry at that point, a, a large section of it was built on that uh, service model. We make games for Americans. Um, we we sort of had a bit of a different approach where we were still trying to make really like this sounds uh, dismissive of other studios, but we were trying to make really, really good projects that just happened to fit the brief from the yeah. publisher. So the publisher would come to us and go, we need a SpongeBob game in six months by Christmas. And we weren't like, how can we just deliver that and do the bare minimum? We were like, we're going to make an amazing game. It just so happens to be about SpongeBob and it'll be done by Christmas. And so like we were forever trying to cut our teeth on these games and get to the point where one day we'll be making our own stuff and we really need it to kick ass. And you know, every now and then we'd sort of check out the games that our uh, local competitors other lo- Yeah, yeah. I was going to say competitors. I'm not sure if that peers. actually tracks. Peers. There you go. Our peers were making, um, and we'd be like, oh, this is just a reskin of the game they released last year. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. That's clever, but... I can know. see how and why, but... Yeah. yeah, exactly. And we're like, yeah, no, that's not what we're aiming for. And so internally there was that real strong um, push, even with licensed games, to just you know do good work like and particularly because you know some kids going to be playing this in the end you know someone's going to buy this for them for christmas and you want them to actually really like it yeah 
you know, it'd be, and then you read the reviews and you're like, damn it, <laughs> they didn't get it. Or like, yeah, no, that wasn't our call. Like, you know, oh my God, there was a thing. The, the, the things that are out of your control are yeah, always going to be variables in the mix that you don't like. We had, oh, we had to, we did a game for Barnyard, the, the animated Nickelodeon movie about oh, cows. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, there, we had to recreate the cutscene where one of the main characters dad dies halfway through the game sorry gang spoilers um <laughs> and so had like I had, I had to recreate this with scripting with characters walking around and saying lines and like every single review savaged us for it for it not being like emotional enough and i'm like it's a movie about cows that talk and squirt milk on each other like what do you want from me yeah <laughs> this, um... this is literally like 10 seconds of the entire experience anyway yeah, move on. Yeah, I think. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, I guess they, if that's the the bugbear, then so be it. There was um, one review where a guy was openly questioning his life choices about, like, he was reviewing Barnyard, our game, and like just having an existential crisis <laughs> mid review. Mid review, <laughs> and it was I, I I've got it saved somewhere. I'll see if I can find it because it was just it was so uh and he was right everything he was saying that was wrong about the game was wrong but, but it was creating oh a meltdown oh yeah that oh, was beautiful poor uh, guy Hope he's yeah i wonder game. i wonder where that person is at now we'll, <laughs> we'll find out that they're still some really acclaimed well well-renowned reviewer and shout him out on perspective we'll entirely him. yeah yeah um so how did the half brick of that era start to transform into the half brick that produced the the likes of Fruit Ninja and and Jetpack and, and and you know obviously the the myriad of things have come since which you know not all have been in, were part of your time there but how did, how did that transformation start to take place? Yeah, um, I guess from your time, I guess timeline wise, uh, you know, I was at Half Brick until twenty eleven. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah, so probably the yeah that period of probably two thousand and nine through 10 wait is that right that's probably right that's close enough to right uh someone can tell me i'm wrong later it's fine um yeah we started to realize that 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 traditional model of making games for publishers was gonna uh, evaporate and we needed to do something else and at the same time we you know the there was this rise of digital distribution where we and no longer the needed... financial crisis along the way as well oh yeah yeah that yeah. was fun that's yeah. a horrible thing <laughs> Oh God! Um, I can't even remember how that affected us because uh, I think I've repressed it. But yeah, well, obviously, like... obviously, I think a lot of people who've listened to this show know because we've obviously had so many people over the, oh, over the years that have uh, that were kind of on the receiving end as well. Like it, it yeah, right. nuked a lot of a lot of local developers. And, yes. Um, obviously, obviously, we think of the pandemics and those sorts of developers of the world, but there was you know several big and small and aligned with other develop. Lots of projects cancelled. It was a really unfortunate, Actually, horrible time locally. That... That was probably one of the um, the 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 things that helped us put the dots together on the fact that this business model was going away. Is that all of these American publishers are going to tighten the, their? They withdrew. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that was probably a real starter's gun for us in terms of getting onto digital distribution. So not not two thousand and nine and ten. Um, I'm off by a significant margin there. Thank you. Thank you, viewers, for your corrections in the comments. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So. You know that that really sort of meant that we were really then on the hunt for other opportunities yeah and even to the point where we sort of had this we had a, a, a come to jesus meeting with the whole company at one point where we're like we have uh i think it was six months operating capital to go yeah. and like we 
we need to work out some new way to land this digital distribution thing because like things aren't going well like you know thq is not calling anymore or you know the whoever publishers yeah. aren't calling anymore uh, and so we've got to make this work and um you know at the same time like if you want to update your uh resumes and get a reference letter we would understand that like that's fair you can go do that we kind of want to kick through this we kind of yeah, we don't want to get in your way but, yeah but, but yeah we'll also we'll also help you like jump ship if you want yeah. um and um you know it it sort of it sort of meant that we were having the discussion then like everything was out in the open and you know everyone was able to kind of go okay so you know what what can i do and so like you know my my role during this time was like finishing the projects that we'd already committed to that were bringing in money so yeah. like you know i was working on the de blobs and the uh, i think rascals was this period as well which is a an internal project we'd poured heaps of money into and we're like oh fuck we need this bucket of ship because yeah. <laughs> the goalposts kept moving on that one oh, of course yeah like even oh that, that's a whole aside um so yeah we um i was you know doing earning money to keep the keep the lights on while other teams were like okay we're going to try and take some of the uh, experimental half rick fridays games we've done and put them on xbox live indie games and we'll try and put some little sample games on um we did a deal with sony to put little games on their downloadable service for oh the old playstation minis playstation minis exactly yeah, yeah. Jeez, that's yes. a deep cut that I, I i'm surprised that just came to mind so fast then that's... yeah i i was like god i knew it was minis something of yeah playstation minis what so that was on the psp was it PS, or the psp and ps3 yeah yeah Oh yeah, of course it was PS3 as well because that's how I played it. Yeah, so you know we did some games for them. They were like, yeah, we'll give you you know decent money or nominal money to put some games on there, and we we're like, well, we'll port across these. So and yeah, the Half Rick Fridays thing that was like I probably should explain that, but those were little um, sort of internal prototypes that we would do every Friday or second Friday, we'd sort of allocate time for the teams to kind of pitch stuff to the, the company and gather some uh, people to work on them. And this is the, this is the shortest, shittest description. My God. No, no, it's uh, right. <laughs> Yeah. Cause it, well, the whole thing was um, based on the, uh, oh, what was it called now? Google's 20% time. If you're oh, familiar with that, um, no, this is a thing so that they used to do fine. when, they were a, a, a media darling. They allowed employees 20% of their time to improve the company in some way. And so a bunch of their projects were people going, I think the world's information should be accessible. And so like Google Maps is like a, a project that someone came up with in their 20% time. And I think yeah, right. Wave was and yeah, all this sort of stuff. And so we were like, we kind of want to do that so people can create stuff that they're passionate about and also generate new ideas for games yeah, without having to be yeah, yeah to find the next thing and at the same time like work with different people and do different jobs and so you know we would eke out a little time every fortnight for for the the company to do that and so we stage gated and structured a process where you know people have to pitch and people have to be interested in their idea and then at the end we uh, present the games and hand out awards and all have some beers and it was this lovely thing and a couple of games sort of came from that like uh, 
Fruit Ninja was literally one of the Halfbreed Friday pitches. You know, Luke had three slides for how the game was going to work. And like, you know, I couldn't run across the room fast enough to be part of it. I was, you know, got beaten to the punch on that. And it's just like, oh, damn it. All right, well, fine. But like there's, you know, racing games and uh, drinking games. There was far too many drinking games that came out of it. But yeah, I think Age of it's Zombies a fun, was... It's a fun pastime. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we came up with some very inventive drinking games too, but it kept being like, well, we can't ever sell these. Like, th- these are this is stupid. And like, yeah, they're yeah, not too family my, friendly, I guess. Yeah, and my mate Baz kept like coming up with new exciting ones, and it's like, damn it, Baz, stop coming up with good drinking games. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, so that is the the Half Rick Fridays. That that sort of lineage meant that we had a bunch of little prototypes floating around that could be spun up into little yep. um, digital digital distribution games so a couple of them went on to minis a couple of them went on to the xbox live indie games service and yep. none of them did particularly well they you know bought in beer money and you know that was the kind that was the discussion we were kind of talking about you know on f- every friday we'd have sort of like a, a big all hands company meeting where shaz would get up and talk to us it's called shaz time and shaz would be telling us you know how the games are doing and it's like hey the, they bought in beer money this week so you know good on this game and this game and it's like yeah all right sweet so that I was part the of the being that they were on the side so that kind of was an easier thing to digest i guess what's that sorry i guess it would have been an easier thing to digest okay like it's just bringing in beer money it's not it's not amazing numbers but because it's the thing that you're doing on the side anyway yeah that it, it's the the new initiative it's like okay yeah. it is it's bearing fruit uh you know sing, singular we've born one fruit which we can all now share but you know i guess it sort of showed that that path was viable for the the company going forward and you know the the the, obviously the the big hit was um fruit ninja and that uh that was uh luke so luke muscat's uh he, he was very interested in the iphone at the time and because we had been really open about this this process of like whatever you think is a good idea like pitch it like we'll chase it if it's sensible me and shane Neal were both like i don't know the iphone's kind of like this gimmicky toy for rich jerks at the time and like all of the apps on it like they're all like v- virtual beer drinking apps and all this sort yeah, of stuff and all, yeah. you know shower mist cleaning apps and stuff it's just like oh these are horrible and luke's like ah oh, I reckon I can probably make something pretty fun with it. And we're like, okay, yeah, if you reckon we'll we'll get one. We'll you know, actually like buy an iPhone to, you know, because <laughs> we didn't didn't really like spending money and they were pretty expensive. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and then, it, it, you know, Luke started experimenting with um, what games could be on the iPhone and, you know, skipping a few details here and there. That's, that's where uh, Fruit Ninja came out. And, like, it made a lot of sense that... Um, like it, it was a huge success because Apple really helped push it as well. Like it was simple, it was smart, um, all these things. But it was also like universally, uh, it, it could work everywhere. Yeah. You know, everyone understands fruit. Everyone likes fruit. Um, and the idea and, of cutting it in half is not a crazy sort of idea no, score either. You know, yeah, and you, you kind of, it's, it's really visceral. Um, and it made their devices look really good. Like its color, its movement, uh, the touch screen is really intuitive. And so Apple are like, obviously, this is something that works to help sell our devices. So, 
you know, they they got behind it in the most Apple way possible, which is kind of saying, well, we can't guarantee anything, but perhaps you would like to get us some marketing assets by 12 midnight tonight. And we're like, oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah, Apple are very, uh, very cagey and difficult to deal with. They will never tell you if something is good or useful or whatever, but they'll sort of say, if you just happen to ha- up- upload some files to- uh... We may or may not do something. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. yeah and we we'd never guarantee we'll use it. And it's like, okay, Apple, thank you. So yeah, Fruit Ninja was a, a huge deal for us at the time. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I remember friendship groups just sweeping through friendship groups. I remember, mm. obviously, there's been lots of different variants of the game since, but like VR <laughs> versions and all those sorts of things that have popped up over the years. Yeah. Um, I certainly remember one particularly drunken New Year's where there was like Fruit Ninja was being played on the VR, PlayStation VR at my, my own home. And it was just <laughs> outside of being, you know, being drunk and trying to stumble over that wire that the PSVR has. Oh, right. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's another variable in the mix as well. But. Oh, and actually, in doing so, because of the nature of that technology, the fact that like the camera was required for it to to see the movement of the, oh, the yeah. balls and those sort of things, and so if you walked in the way, regardless, like the person who's playing it, who's already a little bit tipsy and prone to be sick, mm. then gets thrown all over the place. It was starting to get there was an ugly oh, time. No. So, <laughs> it's it was, it was getting pretty bad. Um, Finding the limits of the technology there. But I mean, that was obviously well down the road from the from the original release, and um, yeah, true. Yeah, I just I just remember the way it just swept swept the world very very quickly which i mean considering everything else at that point obviously working on these licensed titles um that's a that's a totally different sort of, like when, when that hits what just sweeps through the team when apple you know reaches out with their very cagey emails and say hey we may or may not need this and then all of a sudden you're splashed everywhere how does that like impact the energy of the team and yourself yeah that that was wild well that in particular that was like a like a Friday night, we'd already had a, a barbecue and some beers, and then the email comes through, and it's like, "Uh oh, guys, do you reckon we can get this done?" Kind of thing, because the and the team was like, "Oh my god, is it like four or five people? Like the core, um, maybe even been less." Oh my god, I'm gonna get in trouble. Someone's gonna it get was angry. A small, at me it now. was a small number. It was very small. It was very small, and so you know, it was all sort of on this small group of. of developers to be like uh can we pull that together okay i think we can do that you know (laughs) uh you know they're all like three beers in it's like uh we'll be fine it's fine we've already made Um, the game we just need to snip some assets that'll do yeah (laughs) i can't remember i think there was a custom build they needed in that case or something yeah it was like it it was one of those things you know it was very exciting and um yeah it was it was really cool like the the team did a, a an amazing job of sort of supporting it for the next like year and a half i think yeah but it was interesting even internally there's sort of that thing you get such fatigue from supporting such an important project that then there'd be that thing where it's like all right this one team is looking to pass on the baton who else is keen and i think we had like three main teams and maybe two smaller sort of teams at that point and it was you know another hand would go up and it's like okay well they'll be the fruit ninja team for a while now and then you know it sort of we got passed around this thing yeah yeah which is one of the things you, you kind of don't really realize how um like typically we'd sort of work on a project for six months to a year or something and then you're on to the next thing and you're solving yeah. new problems and you're working on new technology and you know suddenly supporting you know fruit ninja to keep the keep the momentum going it's um it's a really different prospect and everyone's just 
like built differently and you know, people yeah, get can... to the point where they're like i just you know i can't work on this thing anymore the creative so... juices are flowing, yeah. but you're not really extracting anything working on that project anymore it's up yeah there. yeah so it's interesting you know we'd like it it'd just kind of get passed around the teams internally and no one no one externally would know that but you know it was just you know and, and it would be an interesting change of pace for a team to sort of step onto it and go oh what hasn't been done you know what if, what do you guys need you know a break from you know let's let's go you know yeah it's a I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating project and obviously a hugely successful one and I think really paved the way for obviously the studio to keep going um, Yeah. well beyond that, obviously. I mean, the success of that, I'm sure, helped finance a lot of different projects that have you know, rolled out in the years since. And and I'm sure, yeah, I mean, without, without knowing any of the analytics, I'm sure the game still probably tracks all right from time to time too. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I feel like it's one of those seminal sort of yeah. you know, iPhone games, really. Yeah, def- definitely. It's in the Let alone all the in, other in the pantheon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there, there's actually still to this day very few, and I guess like I'm not much of a mobile game player for the most part. There's a few things that'll pop up from time to time that, but I, I wouldn't call them the big kind of blockbuster, world sweeping sort of ones. It's far more niche, or it's you know uh, a, a local developer's like, hey, I've been working on this thing as mobile, and I'll I'll try it out. It's not the sort of thing that necessarily millions and billions of people are playing but there's very mm. few games that i think of that sit in that as you said like that pantheon there fruit ninjas one i mean i think of pokemon yeah. Go obviously is another and there's it, it doesn't yeah. run super i mean the angry birds and all those sorts of things of yeah the angry as birds well, doodle but, um, jump um flappy bird those are probably the you know <laughs> and i'm but sure, it's, I'm sure it's, there's it's... others because i'm a little bit out of that space but mm. like, it's, it's not it's not a big number but you know you created one of those and flight and control that was a big one that was yep. huge back in the day yeah no and it's really funny too like even um like i'm, half, like just, a, I'm half just scrolling through the app store now flappy <laughs> so flappy bird is... we missed one someone's sitting there at home listening to this going how are they not said no flappy you bird? you did say flappy you did say flappy bird before so we'll give you the credit there did i yeah, oh yeah, you no! You know what I did? I said Flappy Bird while I was thinking about Crossy Road. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got I'm getting my verbi nouns mixed yeah. up. <laughs> no, but there's this real interesting um, issue with like game preservation that comes in here with all of the App Store mobile era, um, where you just like it's it's almost unfeasible to go back and play kind of the original version. Like when you were saying. Like when you were talking about where Fruit Ninja is up to nowadays, I don't actually know. Yeah. But a couple of years ago, I tried to fire up original Fruit Ninja and couldn't Can't. get to the game. Like there's just all this other stuff. I think there was like signups and things. And I'm like, what is going on? Like I just, I just want to go to the the basic thing. And you know, it's not particularly a, a slight against Halfbrick, but just the way it's the model that's starting to yeah. take over. Yeah. Yeah, and like there's this perpetual updating and sort of stuff that's required from Apple on on these devices, and you've always got to be changing stuff and adapting to the new business models. That just means that like even if you had the list of the 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 top five mobile games ever, and you realize one of them you never played, let's say Flappy Bird, you know you're like, oh well, how do I play Flappy Bird? And it's like, oh, that got delisted from the App yeah. Store. You have to go buy a fucking phone with it installed. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, great, awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, that that preservation thing. Obviously, the the game preservation conversation is a big one across yeah. all different types of video games. But yeah, what we're seeing in mobile is is very different again. And Apple is one of the main 
um, obstacles there because of the way that they make their phones obsolete, the need to keep yeah. the, the need to keep the games up to date in order to have that compatibility. It's a, it's a different sort of level to oh it's I mean not not that the uh, obstacle of trying to get your hands on a physical copy of a Sega game or a, an OG Nintendo game or whatever the case is not that that's easy either and it can be quite mm. expensive too in some cases yeah. depending on what it is I'm very proud of the fact that I've got it's I mean sorry it's for for people that are well it's an audio show so people won't be able to see it but uh, like mm-hmm. I've got this beautiful boxed Earthbound from the from the Super Nintendo which is just like Ooh. I took a look at that. And that's massive. I, I inherited that from my grandma of all people. Oh, um, it's it just like my mum's side was just golden for my my video <laughs> games and, and JRPG specifically. But like that thing Heck goes yeah. for six hundred dollars, and we just had it in the family. Wow. Um, but it's like that. You know, for someone to do that, sure. There's there's a there's a financial challenge there, but. You talk about obviously you know Fruit Ninja or something like that, or a game that's it's been big but it can no longer for whatever reason can no longer get that support. Then suddenly it just becomes incompatible at some point. Yeah, and that's well, look, that's it, a whole other layer of difficulty. To, to like if you were to look at my gamography, is that what it's called? Games I've released. Gamography. Yeah. If you look at my gamography, like everything I've released up until that point in time is in a box in yeah. my cupboard. Like, there's just physical versions of the things. And after that point, it's kind of like, eh? You know, these, these no longer sort of... of... your name in the credits, that's it? <laughs> yeah, if you can run the game. Like, they're yeah. just these ineffable sort of things that eventually get taken down. And the same will be any, you know, any um, fucking uh, online multiplayer yes. game that relies on servers that are all delisted now. Whoever worked on, you know, the first version of Final Fantasy fourteen, they're like, oh, you know, the, all of my work got obliterated in the second event or whatever. That, to I, be fair, I think they're probably happy with that in the case of Final <laughs> Fantasy fourteen. But um, consider, considering how, <laughs> yeah, considering how that original launch went, but um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, and oh, geez, I'm just about to start hanging on screen. So I think about like Babylon's Fall that didn't didn't even last a year. Yeah. Um, I guess they published that, but you know, it was a platinum developed thing. But like live service thing, and as soon as they flick the switch, yeah, that's it. So it's now yeah, sure it's in that case you can this... still buy a physical disc, but you know, again, it's it's a weird thing that you just can't access this this thing anymore. The the I can boot this thing up, and there's the rep, you know physical archive of me or the on screen archive of me being responsible for this thing disappears. Mm. Yeah. No, it's so strange. I, like it's, yeah. I think it's. It, there's two aspects to it. The aspect that it's strange that you can't access these games as a consumer anymore, and then even for nostalgia's sake, you can't fire up your own work and kind of look at V1.0 anymore unless yeah. you just happen to have like old and using Apple as an example, an old device, an old laptop with an old Xcode separate from the internet, so you can deploy it to your own damn thing. Like it's just. The, it's the just so yeah, yeah yeah intentionally made difficult but anyway i think i've grumbled about that enough <laughs> no no that, that, that's fine and so um the next step moving from half brick is very much kind of independent stuff and so doing a lot of consultation doing a lot of mentoring you are working on some of your own pre- projects on the side the likes of skyward journey and data wing you even, yeah. you even did a bit of work with uh, team shifty on mr shifty i did um so I guess there's there's a few different pillars that have kind of emerged at this particular point of your career where, yeah, consultation is a big one, and obviously there's a huge place for that in in all for all industries, but obviously in you know creative ones like video games, 
that's a really important facet people who've been there and done it and have experiences are invaluable for for a team who's just coming through perhaps for the first time um sim obviously the mentoring kind of falls maybe into that same sort of basket as well but you were working on your own games you were even part of some approval process for screen screen queensland as well um so i guess how did things change at that particular stage for you in terms of the day-to-day what do things kind of look like um because you are juggling multiple very different sorts of balls in this case yeah yeah there's it's a it's a very mixed bag um and uh, I'm very unprecious about how um, how much I'm following my nose and intuitions with all of this. So, you know, to, to back up a little, like with during my time at Halfbrick, like I realized that I'd become really burnt out on yep. on the whole thing, like this big hard to define burnout so i took a a break from the company and later decided i had to step back from it completely um because i like i even got to the point so i asked myself the question if i had a budget internally of you know a million dollars what game would i make and this was always kind of the dream to get to a point as you know the director of your own company to go all right like i you know i have dreams about where we go and what we make yeah and I was just coming up empty on it. And, you know, I was finding the voice internally was like, well, okay, what do our publishing partners want? Or what does our audience want? And I'd sort of got into this headspace where we'd been doing it for so long that, you know, and, and you know, running a company is so hard. You're responsible for all these mouths that need feeding and, you know, you're you you start a company as an idiot who doesn't know anything and you're like i don't know how to manage people so you read a book about it then you're like i don't know how to manage production processes so you read a book about it you try things and you make mistakes and you know basically running half for 10 years up to that point was just that just an accelerated learning shit by doing and making mistakes and trying to do better and apologizing to people and trying to do better next time um and so you know when I took that break, I was like, I'm not into games anymore. I need to go do something different. And I enjoyed building a company, so maybe startups. So I went over to San Francisco for six months. And within like a week over there, I was like, oh no, I don't want to do startups. Not this sort like, of startup. <laughs> no, exactly. And it was so strange because like, you know, the, the building a company and having a diverse skill set, all that sounds really fun. But then, you know, everyone is into startups either to make a whole lot of money or because they genuinely think they'll change the world by aggregating all the user data available on the internet yeah. with this. And you're just like, what is this? What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> so I didn't click with startup people at all. Um, it's a whole so, cultural thing, yeah. It, it absolutely is. Yeah, and there's a lot of sort of, uh, I don't know, um, a lot of the way it works is sort of trying to gain momentum and market share and kind of lean into your losses and get acquired before you fall over. And yeah. I was just like, so no one's building a sturdy thing that's valuable to people. They're just trying to get acquired as quickly as possible. You need one hot minute so that in that one hot minute, someone scoops you up and then that's it. Yeah, that's- and I'm like, what the heck? You're not you're not building anything uh, of substance nourishing of substance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I was just like, ah, no, not, not for me. Um, And so then I dabbled with uh, writing for a while because I'd always been, uh, I hated how bad my writing was 
with games and I'd sort of figured that was an area I could learn and I am bad at writing. <laughs> um, like not necessarily putting words together in a sentence, but structuring a story to be good. Like even if I was to tell you a story now, like tell you a joke, you know, those jokes that you have to structure in it. It's like telling a story. I just don't have the patience for it. I'll just the long form. get bored. Yeah. yeah. The, the long walk, the yarn. Like I just got no patience for it. I'll just cut to the end and be like, nah, you, someone else tell a joke. Um, and so, so yeah, writing wasn't for me, but it, it sort of has begun this, this slow period of sort of actually questioning what I, what I like and what I value and what I want to spend my time doing. And I came back to games through a mentorship program, actually. Yep. I had a couple of things where people really needed just some help in a, in a games context. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious that it should be this and you should be doing this and you should talk to them about this and like make sure everyone's aligned and all this sort of stuff. And they're just like, wow. And I was like, oh, that's kind of you, weird. You like, had I, the penny drop moment. Yeah, like I didn't realize, and this sounds so stupid, um, but I, it, it's honestly happened. I just didn't realize that sort of 10 years of experience helping creative people work through problems and you know, having made mistakes running a company and having learned all these different aspects of managing people and projects and risk and blah, 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 um, that it would be so useful to people. And so it was sort of this, um, this light bulb where I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. And, you know, what I've sort of slowly pieced together in the intervening sort of years as well is that, like, you know, we had a culture at Halfbrick of, like, multiple teams under one roof all trying to solve complicated problems, you know, creatively, uh, trying to make fun stuff for users and all pushing each other to do better. And I loved the the moments where you'd be in the kitchen making a coffee and someone else would be there and they're, they're dejectedly staring off into space and you're like, hey, what's going on? You know, you, like, you want to talk about the thing? Yeah. And, you know, you could help them workshop a problem or like, ask if they tried this or that or you can play test their thing and be like oh like maybe it's this sort of maybe thing. it's yeah yep and that thing where we're all pulling together you know with a common uh a common goal so you know i think a lot of what i've been trying to do since then is sort of regather some of that magic and so you know one of the things i i suspect you like looked at my linkedin one of the things i, nah, I did was no nah, not this guy <laughs> I was like, oh, all in here. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, <laughs> Definitely LinkedIn. It's a beautiful resource. For it's, the show. it's so good. It's so useful. Um, but yeah, like I, I started a co-working space uh, because I'd been in a co-working space, um, but it had sort of been trending more towards that really refined understanding of what a, a startup is. Yes. And I was like, well, okay, we, I've got, the, I'm working with that team who are doing Mr. Shifty, and we need some office space, but now I can actually get us a, a little bit more space than we need and bring in people who are all similarly aligned. So, yeah. you know, we can have those same experiences. And so we had some contractors working out of there and small teams and, you know, people doing work for hire stuff. And it, like, apart from the fact that I was in charge and I had to like go around and fix the air con and unclog toilets and just do oh my God, the all, of that, all that stuff. I was the everything guy. Fucking sucked. Maybe the actual um, shit kicker for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you're so, right you went full circle without realizing it's like it's like poetry it rhymes oh my <laughs> god george lucas would be so proud um yeah so you know i i was sort of without really realizing it recreating that 
environment because I really want it. You know, I really, uh, I really find it satisfying when people are trying to solve these complicated things and I understand what it is they're trying to do and I can sort of help them with it. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the focus of that, of that space. And then thankfully, um, Screen Queensland. So my, my intention with that space was to try and run it uh, for 12-ish months and then get some runs on the board and take it to local government and or state government or something and yes. get someone else to underwrite it and, you know, prove that there is so much value just from co-locating game developers and, you know, it's sort of an equivalent thing to the arcade. The arcade, the arcade was looming Melbourne, large yeah. at the time, yeah. So, you know, it was just like, well, why don't I start, if not the arcade, like something that it's arcade. A parallel, yeah. Yeah. Um, and try and get funding for it. And uh, all of the discussions that I had were very kind of stilted with government. Like, no one's really... It, there was a lot of like, oh, why don't you just run events and then funnel some of that money into running the space? And I'm like, literally like that goes against the rules for how the government funding should be used and they're like oh does it and I'm like, okay <laughs> okay let's rework that <laughs> yeah so there was this I, I ran it for probably two and a bit years and then i was like sorry everyone i can't be fucked doing this anymore like this sucks and i'm like i am not going to be responsible for what comes next i'm so sorry and it just so happened that at that time screen queensland were like hey we're going to start a co-working space for film and screen professionals and we were like can you take game developers and they're like yes and they're like can you take 12 and they're like yes <laughs> so i just had the most like glorious out where like and then rehomed yeah, everyone so, did what you need yeah, yeah exactly and like no i got to keep doing the same thing there like basically to their credit like i didn't even fit the mold where they were trying to upskill so their model was brilliant they bring people in and they go we're going to give you some training in uh you know accounting and uh positioning and marketing and then kick you out as better developers but you basically get like a year or two year no year i think it was you get a year um and then you're out like once you've secured your funding or whatever like you go spend some money on an office yeah. and with me they were like oh you just help everyone else with their stuff like you can just hang around like you're just like our internal mentor and i'm like that is the nicest thing you have ever said to me i will stay that's great so yeah it was ideal i didn't have to fuck with the aircon anymore i didn't have to you know work out why the toilet was clogged it was brilliant they had actual janitors for that yes yes they did Fantastic. oh my goodness <laughs> um but i guess i guess one of the themes that's kind of emerged across you forming your own um i mean game space as well as mm. as well as everything with screen queensland and then the assessing and uh, the digit like for games uh the games grants as well as the digital games incentive a lot of the, I guess there's a theme there of kind of providing opportunity for others at that particular point. And it's kind of developed even from an earlier point there, providing opportunity slash supporting others with their opportunities to, to grow as well. Um, I mean, would I be kind of judging that fairly well? Um, I, I'm I'm certainly seeing a bit of a through line there that is kind of that that supporting that next. Yeah, the one that's kind of catching me there is opportunity. Like, I wouldn't have thought that I was really necessarily doing that um what i sort of find with any mentoring thing and i'm bringing it back there i guess yep. again no, that's fine. um is it like so you, you can have like a a five minute conversation with someone and literally save them like six months of yes of drama <laughs> because you can be like oh i've fallen down that hole 
I don't know if this is useful, but I read this book. I did this. I watched this video. There's this article, or you it's try the old this use thing. it or lose it thing. Uh, I'm not familiar with that actually. Uh, I mean, just like here, here, here's some information. Use it or don't. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, that's that's a big measure as well with any sort of mentoring thing is just the rapport. If they come back to you and they go, "Oh, I've got a new problem, but I didn't listen to you last time," you're like, "Yeah, look, you know." I'll give you my two cents, but like, we're obviously not clicking, right? But for me, like having that conversation with someone and saving them months of strife is like so rewarding because that's exactly kind of the, um, that's exactly what the, that internal culture would be like. So, you know, at, at Halfbrick or in um, the co-working space or whatever. Uh, and in fact, you know, there was, <laughs> there was a developer whose game I was playtesting and I was like, I think you need an undo button. And he, he disagreed and, uh, you know, he had a, a couple of people playing it who didn't want the undo button. And then he came back to me six months later and he's like, hey, I added the undo button. It fixed so many things. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> because like, beyond just video games, how handy is an undo like, tool? <laughs> I tried to explain that to you six months ago. Um, so, yeah, I think like rather than, you know, me necessarily like, I, you know, maybe that's something that follows on. But that's always kind of been my motivation is like people are giving it a crack and I want them to have the best chance possible. You know, yeah. I, I want them to get their best bang for buck. Oh, God, that's my that's my recurring theme is bang for buck. Oh, no. And I've just come up with the subtitle for this episode. Thank oh, you. no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense, though. I mean... It, it is the nature of, again, I think any sort of industry really is like if there's if there's someone who's got experience in the room who's able to impart some of that and hopefully the, there's people there that are willing to receive that same advice as well, mm. it can it can be huge. And I think the more you do that, the, the more you start to form a bit of a reputation as well and people start to take that more and more seriously as well. Yeah. No, it is cool when people recommend Bang others come and buff. chat with you. Yeah, bang for buck. That's uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'll see if I can top that by the time we uh, something even the more time profound. we finish our chat. Yeah, I'll keep trying to say profound things. <laughs> Look, there's still plenty of time for some more sage nuggets of wisdom. wisdom yeah, very good, there. very good. Um, I mean, I guess how do you personally? So obviously, obviously, you are doing the assessing for for Screen Queensland. There is the the consultancy and all those sorts of pills as well. How do you see that progressing for you going forward? For you as an individual. Um, because Consulting. I mean, we've had, like, I've I've spoken the likes of Jed Dawson, for example, who's uh, oh, cool. been doing stuff for Screens Queensland as well, and he, yep. I mean, we hear incredible things about what's going on in the in the Queensland scene specifically at the moment. Um, so I mean, things are in a great place. But for you, for you personally, I mean, is there is there an itch that's not being scratched at the moment, or you, or you know, that that dream that's still there that you'd like to go chasing at some point? Yeah, um, it's really interesting the assessing actually because. I just found myself the whole time uh, in the headspace of kind of wanting to help whoever put that pitch together yeah. to do a better pitch. You know, it's like, it, it's funny that like my headspace the whole time was like, oh, you could have done this so much better and it wouldn't have taken much. And yeah. like, then going like, Jed, how do we, how do we uh, improve the outcomes here? Like, how do we make sure people are putting their best foot forward rather than kind of, you know, slapping something together or like making really avoidable mistakes? Because sometimes and, it's not necessarily the product, but it's actually the way you present the product. Oh, and in that case, it absolutely is. Because, you know, we, 
you know, assessors don't really have time to, I mean, they, they may be able to play a little bit of your game or watch a video or something, but they are working from incomplete information. And, you know, if you haven't bothered filling in your budget, like, <laughs> what the fuck are we? Well, oh, yeah. oh, they obviously don't take the budget seriously is the information that we're going to infer from that. So, you know, what I found really interesting about that process is that I kept trying to think about process things to improve people's pitches rather than necessarily, um, you know, just going, you know, I'm happy with this and it's fine and I've checked yeah. off the ones I like and what have you. So even even in that context, like I was still finding a way to to look at it from the point of view of like, how do I reach through the screen and find these people and say, no, 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 like read this article, read this, do that, you know. <laughs> so there's just something pathological about um, about my uh need to tell people how to do it better <laughs> no but i mean it's i, I was just shooting for a new uh, let's not forget that you're, to talking, you're talking to a teacher here who spends all day oh, yeah. <laughs> telling people how to do things better so, oh yeah oh my god um so don't, don't stress too much about that one there's there's i don't think there's anything too pathological in that either that or i am pathological as well i don't you know we'll see that's that's all what's perspective your, what's your subject uh, uh maths oh nice so um i mean i i've always appreciated that in the sense that there is a a more definitive sort of in terms of an answer there's a more definitive sort of process there's less gray area compared to a lot of other a lot of other curriculum areas so that's yeah um but there's always there's always still that element there so yeah if i was gonna be a high school teacher to be like maths or physics or something again that really kind of somewhat rigid sort of yeah totally Yep. Yeah, it's, it makes life a little bit easier in that sense. I failed out of art in high school, so like oh, I couldn't go near that. Yeah, you because know? <laughs> like I I couldn't uh, I couldn't talk the talk. I was just yeah. like, no, nah, I'm just trying to get good technically, and it's just like, well, you didn't come up with a good enough story. I'm like, oh my god, uh, right? Oh, well. Okay, yeah, not for me, I guess. <laughs> not for me. Um, too great, too great. But yeah, obviously, uh, like those those challenges. I mean, I guess every new developer or individual who comes through with a pitch presents a new opportunity at the same time in terms of uh obstacles in terms of challenges in terms of support that you can provide them um so i guess that always keeps things a little bit fresh too would that be fair yeah i i I don't think there's much of a i think one of the things about the screen i'm not sure how uh other grants programs works but i think the screen queensland one is pretty arm's length like once you get the green tick like you just get the money and then like it go do your thing hands off yeah so you know probably not as much as i would like like i think you know i'm kind of learning that um the more i'm involved with programs like that the more i want to you know help shepherd things and in fact I've, i've even found this uh to sashay nicely over to consulting i've even sort of found that that's like one of the risks for me personally in consulting work is you know, sort of, I find myself going, I wonder how they're going now. I wonder if that advice was useful. I wonder if like, I can help out with that thing that's going to come up. Again. Oh, absolutely. Like with every, every project that I touch, like it, there'll be a time when, you know, two weeks later when I'm in the shower and I'm just like, oh shit, they would have done that assessment by now. They would have play tested. They would have feedback for me. And I'm just like, wait, it's not for me. <laughs> like, yeah, so, you know, the the, the consultants that I've uh, sort of witnessed in the past and really despise are the ones who kind of float in and they uh, deal 
messages from on high that all happen to rhyme and are catchy and have fancy like presentation slides to go with yeah, them with and then they float out of you know never off, to be seen or heard of again stage right yeah. and uh yeah that very next day you're kind of like okay cool well how do we wait how do i apply that now uh all huh. oh, right i can't yeah <laughs> and i i've literally seen that enough that like you know i know that's one end of the spectrum i think i'm the other end where like i will have to you know force myself to remain objective and distant with projects that I help with because part of it now and so you know I've been mentoring for years but the consulting is something that I've sort of decided to to pursue recently and I'm very new at it but it's interesting that like it creates uh, a, a clearer quid pro quo maybe where yep, now yep. because you know people are paying me for a particular bit of help that then that opens up a whole bunch of new sort of relationships where people are like, oh, cool. Like I wouldn't have bothered you with some mentoring chat or like just picking your brain, but I'll be happy to like pay you to help with this thing. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay. I mean, I would have helped you, but fine. yeah, you can pay me but for there, the there's same always thing. That, That's oh, completely like, fine. <laughs> yeah. I think there's always that, oh, but I'm taking their time. They're, like it's, you know, yeah. Time, yeah. So it, it, you know, the old time is money and now your time is becoming money. Yeah, so I think it, it does sort of create a much more, um, for, for some people, a much healthier uh, interaction. You know, it's yeah. something that they can just be more comfortable with. But then I also have to be that guy who uh, does actually uh, disconnect at the end and not keep pestering them and being like, so, how did it go? Yeah. Tell me everything. Because they'll, <laughs> they'll come back to you if there's anything further they want. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, a, it's a challenging, I guess, line to walk because there's an investment that comes with that. Once, once you kind of get in there and you provide that support, you want to, I presume, in every case, probably want to make sure that everything goes well for them and you want to ride the bumps with them, but you can't. Yeah. You and don't like, have the mental bandwidth to do that, especially once you extrapolate that across you know, lots of different teams and they can't be afforded to kind of, that's, you know, it's time. It's, yeah, it's it's a challenging challenging thing, for, I think, for all parties. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I, I crave that sort of feedback loop of, yes, you know that impacted the course of development in this productive and positive way yeah uh and now we're on this course you know like i i i want that but you know um it's not necessarily <laughs> it's not necessarily going to manifest yeah uh, i mean that's all yeah it, it's an interesting challenge on the on the the day-to-day the -day really which will i'm sure keep you engaged for quite a long time and again plenty of exposure to lots of new teams existing teams different individuals along the way yeah and so that that's that's part of it as well is that like i i really um i've spent a little while in uh wait last last year not this year last yeah, year yeah we're 2023 yeah. now oh man um yeah i spent some time in that year trying to identify teams and projects i would enjoy working with and sort of found it difficult um because, you know, and particularly with time differences and stuff, it just sort of becomes, the, you, you just start going, oh, look, whole swathes of the planet just aren't accessible, uh, to, accessible yeah. to me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I really would, I think I really benefit from being in the same room as people as well. And then that narrows it down even more. Um, where was I going with this? Why was I talking about this ball? Um, no, I mean, I mean that, that logistical, <laughs> that logistical sort of thing is a, is a challenge. Yeah. Time zones are a challenge. Travel is a challenge. Yeah, so yeah, 
And being in the same room during a pandemic or realizing that that's something you deeply, deeply, deeply value at the same time there's a pandemic on is like a, <laughs> it's, a it's a cruel, yeah, yeah it's a cruel uh, fate. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's something, I guess, you know, largely at the other end of the pandemic and kind of people getting back to this, in some cases, hybrid, some cases back to full face-to-face and everywhere in between, I guess, um, those sort of environments are going to present some cool, interesting, different challenges along the way, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, as we start to wind things down a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, is there anyone out there that you've worked with that you look at from afar that really inspires you in the way you go about your work at all? Huh. And I guess given all the various different pillars along the way, whether it's the games you've developed, the consultancy, anything there really, like is that you know we can kind of touch on any of those realms if you like. Huh. Holy moly, that is a fascinating question. Anyone say something deeply profound along the way? Was there um, someone that gave you that phrase, bang for your buck? Well, actually, yeah. So, I mean, building building Halfrick with Shaniel was a constantly uh, challenging and interesting process. He yeah. he was a couple of years older than me and had worked at, oh, where the hell was it? Oh, somewhere he'd worked somewhere a couple of years before coming back into study um and you know there was just <laughs> i still remember that there, there was just stuff like we'd be going out to lunch with um thq or something yeah and you know they'd buy us lunch and then the next time we'd go out to lunch with them like he'd offer to pay and i'm like why why are we paying for their lunch? They're the ones with all the money. Yeah, like they're... they're the ones who aren't paying us enough on the project. And <laughs> and he'd sort of just feel like, dude, it's called token. You know, we both we both pick up the check sometimes. Like it's just like the done thing. It's like polite. It's you know. And I'm like, oh. And so there was just a lot of stuff early on in Halfrick that was that was like that, where I'm just like almost too pragmatic and young and you know got the the blinkers on yeah. and yeah there was that just a lot of focus stuff. A little bit, yeah yeah so there'd be a lot of stuff like that where he's like hey i'm reading this book there was too many times where he's like hey i'm reading this book you should read it and i'm like <laughs> dude this, this sucks like it was always like uh novelizations of uh management things and the way that your brain remembers it is by you being stressed out the entire fucking book that the poor guy's never gonna get the failing power plant back on track anyway he always does and then you read the next book in the series and the guy's back at it again. But now it's not a power plant. It's a factory. Anyway, yes. Um, um, <laughs> and the loop so, begins anew. Yeah. Yeah. And so does the the heartburn. I was just like, I have to put <laughs> these down, man. It's like it's hurting my heart to, to empathize with these, these poor fucking employees every time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was always – it was awesome building the company with Shaniel because, you know, there was so much I didn't know and then he didn't know. Um, but you know, we were kind of like wading through that together and, you know, his, he was, uh, sort of on the programming initially, but then sort of more business side of it. And I was on the creative design sort of side of it. Yeah. I'm with you. And, um, you know, everything else we both sort of just had to cover. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a a fantastic influence for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, certainly during that period. Um, uh, it's It's been fascinating seeing what uh, Luke's done since 
Hathrick, obviously, yep. you know, Fruit Ninja, and then he went and uh, with a bunch of other guys also from Halfbreak, they formed Pretty Great, which got acquired by Snap. And so they were working at Snap and doing Snap games, which I'm not particularly familiar with, um, but uh, which I think has, has just wrapped up. Uh, Snap, you know, imploded a little this year. But yes. yeah, their, their output, once they kind of broke free and started doing their own thing, was very, uh, really interesting and really idiosyncratic, which... I really enjoyed because uh, there'd always just be some completely strange off the wall thing they're exploring and, you know, seem to fly in the face of uh, what the, maybe what would have been considered sensible within the walls of Halfrick and they're just kind yeah, of doing that thing with their own sense there. of humor. And it's like, yeah, cool. I really like that. No, that's, um, that's pretty yeah. awesome. Um, and obviously, I'd imagine just through the sheer nature of what you do today, there there are going to be developers that you come across that are just actually. Set have off a have light you bulb. talked? Have you talked to John Passfield? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, he was he was another one. So he he was uh, high up at Chrome yeah. back when we were uh, working at Chrome. So we met John, you know, like twice a year or something. And when I had taken my break uh, and uh, over in San Francisco, I actually reached out to John and was like. I, I want to be your friend because you are one of the most like eternally optimistic and uh, excitable people I know in games. So like, I want to be your friend. I want to like, you know, if you're testing games and need someone to play test them or like whatever, like, cause I, I think he was doing some of that work at the time. Um, but yeah, John was always like on the forefront of new crazy shit. So like he keeps making Apple watch games. Like yeah, no okay. one, no one plays Apple Watch games, and yet but people are buying them. his Apple Watch games for like two dollars fifty. And he's like, "I don't know who's buying these games, but okay, like I'll keep making I, them." I just love an excuse to make another cool thing that goes on your wrist, and it's like, "Oh my god, John is the sweetest guy." So yeah, John's one of those people as well that like I find like I, I tend to be very uh, very black hat. I can spot all of the things that are going to go wrong. I'm very risk averse. Um, I think John is like a good uh, counterpoint to that where he's yeah. extraordinarily optimistic and he sees all these upsides in Apple watch games. Like what? <laughs> like I, 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 won't I, now. I don't, watch. I don't have an Apple watch, but I, my wife does, but I had no idea until right now that they even had games on the Apple. Watch. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I'm getting an Apple watch, John, I'm finally doing it. And like, I use it for a, a number of things and I use it a lot for those things. And then for everything else, I'm like, I cannot be bothered. Like, faffing about on my wrist for that like i just can't i can't be bothered yeah. and the fact that anyone's playing games on there and let alone that paying money for it is like bravo john bravo yeah so i mean you know i'm i'm, I'm excited like you'll have to reach out to john and and um you know yeah we'll have to chat have, at some point, have him sure. on the show at some point yeah absolutely no that'll be cool um some lighter ones as we start to wrap things up though mm -hmm. totally kind of off the the subject of your career now but just a few fun ones um if you could be credited for any game, so just add your name into the credits retroactively. Ooh. Is there a game you'd pick? An obvious standout? Uh, no. So that's that's it's so weird. Yeah, it, it is. It is one of those ones. So I guess. I guess the lens. The lens that we've kind of come at things through in the past. Like some people just go, "Oh, it's my favorite game. I just would. I would have loved to have worked on that." You'll go. Oh, you'll get others that will say, "Look, this one particular aspect." For whatever, maybe an otherwise 
ho hum sort of game in your eyes, but there's one particular oh, okay. pillar that they loved, and like, oh, I just I wish I could have been responsible for that. So we're working with um, we're working <laughs> we're working with a guy at Halfbrick who um, he had been working at Sega in the '90s, and he had overseen a bunch of translations of games. Yep. And uh, I, I want to be credited as the location, sorry, the localization supervisor for Zero Wing on the Mega Drive. Yeah, okay. Famously, uh, it's the all your base are belong to us. Oh, of course. Yeah. Meme. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> he'd mentioned that he was he used to do all these things, and they'd just kind of ship them out in a day and get the translations back and be done with it. And I'm like, what? Wait what games did you work on? He's like, oh, a bunch of shooters for the Mega Drive and whatever. And I'm like, did you work on Zero Wing? And he's like, oh, yeah, that was one of mine. And I showed him the meme. I'm like, are you familiar with this? And he's like, oh, never seen that. Anyway, and walked away completely unimpressed with, like, the crater in internet culture that he had created. He created. Just by overseeing a terrible translation. So, like, <laughs> that that's is funny. that's the I credit like that. I want is, yeah, the localization supervisor for uh, Zero Wing on the Mega Drive. That's... That's a pretty cool one. Um, and on far, a far more consumerist sort of side, is there a game out there that you wish that you could just scrub your memory of and get to replay it again completely Ooh, anew? Oh, Breath of the Wild, hands down. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I need to ask why that's the case because Breath of the Wild is a re- some semi-regular answer. But um, Breath of the Wild... And I'm Wild. not suggesting you're lacking originality in the slightest there. I can no, totally understand no. how and why. No, like, and so as someone, like I have fallen off games a lot in the yeah. the last 10 years like it's just been tapering down there's just less and less that i play um and it's it's a lot to do with the fact that there kind of isn't novelty and people are falling into genres and a lot of that sort of stuff like you know the same gripes that probably people say on here every week in week out um but breath of the wild is one of those ones that they've got the crushing weight of tradition of zelda games and then they're moving into this genre that has all of these ugly trappings like menus covered in sorry maps covered in icons and stuff icons everywhere. Yeah. and they did just the most refreshing take on all of this stuff and i yeah i i've been looking for excuses to kind of like replay it or or um you know get i had never got the dlc actually maybe i should finally oh look do you that. got tears of the kingdom that's going to come out in like yeah months, so. <laughs> yeah true yeah, but it was uh, it was the one of the ones that just absolutely fills you with whimsy playing it, and so for yeah, for me like if I could brain dump, I mean I'd feel bad about losing all my whimsy from the first time, and literally like I you get I was, to rediscover that whimsy again. Yeah, I was sick after GDC, and I was crashed on a uh, the friend's couch in San Francisco, and I was watching uh, my uh, friend housemate play it during the day. And then the guy who's we, it was, he'd come home at night and then he'd start playing. And I was literally like in a fever dream, watching both of their playthroughs over the course of a week, just suffering with post GDC flu. And then I flew home and got the game and was like, I wonder if I won't be able to enjoy this because I've seen it played two different ways already. And then I was just like, no, I'm just going to go a third way. and just went off some other direction and just had like, a fucking created your ball. own story yeah. so it's just like i guess i if i was to erase my memory i'd actually lose that one so like you know i don't know they're getting christopher nolan about it now but yeah that that game's phenomenal and i would definitely play it again with a fresh slate no an awesome choice um i'm i'm certainly one of the minority that just i mean i love what breath of the wild does but i get 
antsy about it because of I'm a bit of a Zelda traditionalist at the at my core, and so I, yeah. it's one of those ones like I love what this game is, but I hate that it's a Zelda game. <laughs> yeah, um, that's completely fair. But that's like otherwise still a brilliant game for what it is. Um, but I won't go down that because I do that far too often, and people are sick of me doing it. Um, <laughs> So, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far. It's been a really fascinating one, and obviously it's going to continue into the future. And I think I can speak for everyone listening to the show. Really excited to see what comes next. Um, but if people want to reach out, if people were new to you until uh, prior to today and, and want to see more of what you're up to, where should people go? That's a really good question. Uh, the social media, Twitter, I guess. Uh, it, it hasn't fallen in a heap yet. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Either, like, look... My, my Twitter is the best place. Um, I'm Dan underscore vote V-O-G-T. Um, and assuming it's not a pile of rubble, by the time we discuss this, there'll be a tweet telling you whether it's Mastodon or uh, oh, yes. co-host or, or Hive, Hive or wherever, or wherever the yeah. parties move to. If I'm not there, there'll be a, a tweet saying where the hell I am now. There you go. So you've got plenty of options. Um <laughs> Dan, as I said, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far. Really appreciated the time you provided me and the listeners today. And it's been a really fascinating one. So thank you for sharing all those insights. Yeah, lovely chat. Thank you. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Dan's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.